In those years, we had sanctions against South Africa. Those were the years when the computers started coming into the country, but we couldn't get computers because of the sanctions. Softly Spoken is an introvert's guide to thinking out loud about identity, meaning, and the moments that make us who we are. In our different ways, we all reach points in our life where we have to let go of who we were in order to embrace who we are and who we're becoming. A mix of stories and interviews, Softly Spoken is a podcast that takes a deep dive into the hidden moments that shape us. It's an invitation for you to consider the version of you you are creating right now. What are you learning about yourself in the process? My name is Stefan, and I'm your host and introvert in chief. I'm so thrilled to have as my guest today Annette de Jacher. Annette is an academic, educator, teacher, mother, and wife. She lives in the Cape in South Africa. She's also my high school science teacher, and she taught me physics between the ages of 13 and 18 over 20 years ago. Today, I really wanted to have a conversation with her to explore the transitions in her own life and to learn more about the ways her identities have shifted and expanded over time. First of all, thank you for doing this. <laughs> it's been it's been like what? Uh, in 2004, I think was the last time I saw you in person. 2004, yes, could be. Yeah. Cuz that was the yeah. last time I was in South in Africa. In South Africa. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, lots of things happen and uh, I'm still you're still going strong. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> The ideas that I wanted to explore the way that people make sense of themselves, their identity, and how that shifts over time. Obviously, I've gone through a <laughs> pretty major transition yes. in my life, but I think we all do go through different types of changes of identity in our lifetimes. That's and right. so I'm curious to hear a little bit about your experience of what that has been like for you. I mean, I know a little bit just from the things that you've shared with me over the years. One of the things that you shared is that you, you spent some of your childhood, at least that I know of, in Namibia, and then you moved to South Africa. And I know you've also, for work, traveled the globe. If you wanted to share, as a young person, what did you dream of becoming? That's quite a, a question. Because at what stage of my life? Because each and every time in my life, I became something different. But I don't think it changed my identity as such. Uh, if we can define identity. Uh, well, how do, you define, how do you define identity? It could be different definitions. It could be something like you, you have a complete change in your whole approach to life on different levels, intellectual level, emotional level, physical level, psychological level, uh, religious level. So, well, I mean, I started by talking about Namibia. I mean, maybe let's talk about geography as, a, as, a, as an area of identity. You've moved around a lot. Where do you consider your home? 
<laughs> if you ask me that, then my mother would have said somewhere in a plane going somewhere. <laughs> yeah, Stefan, I was born in the old, what we call it in South Africa, Transvaal in Heidelberg. And then my father was a teacher and we moved along some time until we got to Potterstrom, where he was the deputy principal of the teacher's college. And his brother was at that stage the director of education in Transvaal. And my father was due for promotion at a very um, young age. And then the Bruderborn said to him, you will never be able to do better in Transvaal because your brother is here. So, well, I grew up in Southwest Africa while it was still Southwest Africa. You have to go there if you want to, to get a better, to climb the ladder. Mm. And that's why I know it was very, very bad for my mother. But then we moved to Windhoek. That was a okay. complete change in the environment and the, the expectations that we had. Because at that stage, Windhoek was just a, a large local city. It was not really a city. <laughs> I think there was one row, one traffic light. <laughs> and we had we we could move wherever we were on bicycles, etc. Just to give a timeline, so when would it have been year wise when you moved in, to that was in nineteen fifty seven. Before my, you go on, I just want to, because I mean, I know what Bruderbund means, but my listeners might not. So if you could just expand on what that is referring to. Bruderbund. Uh, it's not a sure description, but if I try my best, South Africa has got a very interesting history, which few people really understand the history of South Africa. It was colonialized. Oh, and then when they discovered the gold and the diamonds, you know, the Spanish and the Portuguese people did the explorations, but once they established a place, then the other people from across the world, especially the British people, just came in. And you can look at the history of the world. Why are there so many British colonies who were they becoming less and less? It's because they, they didn't do the exploration. They just went and took over after everything has been established. It's the British people that came and they wanted to take out South Africa because of the diamonds and the gold that they discovered here. So after the Second Boer War, which was in 1899 until 1902, in which my grandfather, for instance, was a prisoner of war sent to St. Helena, they knew that the women and the children were feeding the uh, and were the support system of the Boer soldiers. So they... When they captured the soldiers, they sent them off to the Salon, which is Sri Lanka nowadays, and to uh, St. Helena. So they removed the soldiers from the field. And then the women, the children, they put them in the concentration camps. And my grandfather was one of those. When they came back and they started to build up South Africa again under the British Empire, the Afrikaans-speaking people started a kind of... A, was it a secret? I don't know. A secret group of people, which they said, we are going to call you the Bruderborn, in which they looked after one another to become executives in strategic posts in South Africa to build the country. To some extent, it was a, 
a good time because it was quite different and we had good experiences there coming with the, they called it the zoo train, for instance, because all those people had to come for December holidays and they put us on a train, all of us on the train and all the cars, etc. And we could get the concession up to the R. And so all those people, they knew one another. They were like a family. And on the other R, we got off the train and then everybody dispersed and getting in the same own direction. And then they all came back to the R and then we got on the train again after the holidays and we went back. And these were the steam trains, hey? Oh, wow. <laughs> and yeah, wow. And, uh, yeah, it took about two days to get to the R. That experience of, of Namibia or Southwest Africa at the time, did you consider that as home then? Yeah, that was my home. And still today, if I go back there, I still feel at home. But that shaped my character and my personality in a certain way in terms of endurance. How so? Well, I can I can tell you that I, for instance, uh, when I was in uh, year 10, standard 8, then when I qualified teachers. So I had a teacher teaching me mathematics who had a standard 8 mathematics. And I had to take the books and I had to see that I understand the work myself. And most of the people in Southwest Africa at that stage sent their kids down to Paul Gymnasium and Jan van Riebeek, all these schools in South Africa for their high school, secondary school. Whereas my father said, I cannot send my children away because if I send my children away, then I actually tell the people in Southwest Africa that education in Southwest Africa is not a good education. So you will have to get your qualification, your matric here and do it, notwithstanding kind of a substandard education that we got at that stage. But that gave you the drive to succeed. I imagine it helped having a father who was also an instructor or teacher. Yeah, although he was, you know, he's... Uh, Patience. If you ask him something, then he could get impatient with you. <laughs> but anyhow, <laughs> but anyhow, yeah. But you know, he was a good father. So that is why I then also got financial support from the Southwest Africa administration to study. I didn't want to become a teacher. That's another highlight in my life. Okay. I wa- I never wanted to become a doctor, medics. I didn't want to do that. But I want to do a paramedical course, like physiotherapy or radiology or one of those. You know, when they did with us this career planning in school, I I didn't want to work with people because I'm actually an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. But at that stage, when I went to university, there were only diplomas, three-year diploma in physiotherapy or radiology. What I also wanted to become, I was really interested in the science part, you know, scientific laboratory assistant or something like that. And my father just said, you're not going to do a diploma, you're going to do a degree. We don't discuss it any further. And then I said, yeah, but what am I going to do? I don't want to do this. And then he said, I'll become a teacher. You know, one day you will be there with your children during holidays and you will be in school when your children are there. All those nice things, which of course is not true. So I went to university. My father put me on the train with all my summer and winter clothes because Windhoek is far away from Potterstrom. So you could only go uh, home during holidays. And uh, I could only go home during June holidays. By that time, it was already winter. And off I go. And I, I arrived in Potterstrom and I had to find my own way. So uh, 
in, to some extent, Southwest Africa made us very independent. We never had money, actually, because when we were five siblings and my father, I mean, he didn't get a high salary, although he had a good position. So what I did to get money to study is the moment that I landed in Windhoek, uh, I went to the hospital and I became assistant nurse for the holidays. And that's how I got my money, my pocket money for my studies. I became a teacher in Janmuer School in high school in Windhoek, and I met my husband, and we got married, and then he got transferred to Pretoria. My husband is from Kubabis in Southwest Africa, and he wanted to come to Pretoria. Did you want and to move to Pretoria? I actually couldn't care less. It was, yeah, it was sad for me because, you know, I was there for how many years? I was there for about 57 until 75. So it's all my 20 years that I was in, uh, in Ventuk. So Ventuk was my own. And eventually I ended in Menlo Park hmm. as a teacher there. And Which is where you met me. <laughs> we, we met, yeah. That's yeah. where we met. And that's one of the good experiences I had in my life. We were in, Vint- in Witbank before we went to Pretoria. And well, actually, we were in Potterstroom before we went to Witbank. You know how they transferred my husband. And in Potterstroom, I got the opportunity to work at the university. They gave me a lecturer's job there in physics. And I, I taught physics there. And then I started studying because I liked studying. I just <laughs> loved it. And I did my B it. And then when we were in Witbank, I saw an advertisement for a master's in education, computer-assisted education. And then I applied for that. What was it about so, it that interested you? Well, that's another story, Stefan. You know, because when I was at Potterstrom in those years, we had sanctions against South Africa. Those were the years when the computers started coming into the country, but we couldn't get computers because of the sanctions. So they bought what they call IBM computers at the university, and doing that, we got computers. My very first computer was a computer with a floppy disk drive. You know, <laughs> I remember those. Yeah. <laughs> And I had to put it in and I have to put it out. And then I had to put my other one, my one for the working in and out. Later on, then I asked for two floppy drives. And then, <laughs> and then I, I wanted to make my drawings for my examination papers and for the notes that I give the students on the computer and not by hand anymore, because if you make a mistake, then you have to redo it. And that's why I got then Windows 3 was the very first one. I bought a new computer and I got the Windows 3. And then I start getting interested in the in the works and the possibilities of this. That took me into my master's degree of which you were a part. And then I left teaching. That was quite a major decision that I had to make and resign at teaching and take another job, which was completely different. Although I had some experience in Potterstrom from the university teaching. This was completely different. I think after I finished your group, you know, I had you people for five years. And it was just uh, at that stage, it was just enough. Then I did my PhD. 
And that's when I started attending international conferences and those type of things. One of the lecturers that lectured me on my master's degree, she was in Abu Dhabi in the UAE. And she advertised for people to come there. And I decided to apply for that. You, you won't believe it, but it was like this. You know, myself and my husband worked all the years and we had a planning for pension. And when you are 20 years of age and you think that you make an investment of five rand a month, then you think it's going to be much uh, a lot of money when you get 60. When you get 60, you find out it's not a lot of money. So we really had to sit down and we had to decide what are we going to do from here. And this was an opportunity for me and it was an opportunity for me to get a better salary there. That's so quite a quite an adventure to take on as you're approaching, you know, 60. Yes, it was a serious decision I had to make because he didn't want to go with me at that stage because he didn't want to leave his job. So I was there and then that was a wonderful experience. So me. you left your husband to go to a completely different culture, different okay. world. I mean, that yes. must have been, I mean, yes, exciting, but also I would imagine kind of terrifying. Yeah, Abu Dhabi is still very, very traditional, the UAE, very traditional uh, Muslim country. I moved from Abu Dhabi after the lady, Annalise, the lady who brought me there, they moved to Malaysia. And then I joined her in Malaysia as well, in al Sitar. Malaysia is more a relaxed Muslim country. They allow more. They don't wear the, the scarf and all those type of things uh, all the time. It's, it's very similar to the social life, very similar to what we've got in South Africa with our Muslims. But Abu Dhabi was still very, very strict. You know, for instance, even a two-story building, school building, will have a lift because they, they wear the, the abaya and they cannot uh, take steps with the abaya because they will trip because the abaya is on the floor. It's a, it's a very long abaya. So they have to go from one floor to another floor by using the lift. But if I stand, for instance, in front of a lift and there's a male inside the lift, I wouldn't go in. Hmm. Oh, there I can tell you lots of stories about that. So it was good for me. I made very, very good friends there. And so, and then from there, I went to Alostar in Malaysia. I came back in 2016. How did that decision to go to, well, first to the UAE and then Malaysia, how did that impact your marriage? No, it, it didn't impact my marriage as such, as we had a very good relationship. And we understand what the circumstances are. Because my husband still went to the army after matric. And in those days, for instance, after he finished his year in the army, he had to still attend three camps of three weeks in five years. So often he was away doing his army service. And when he was busy with his third one, they changed it to six camps of three weeks in 10 years. Almost every year he had to go on a three-week camp and then he's gone. And Yeah, well, maybe that was good family planning. <laughs> <laughs> it worked for you. <laughs> it worked for us. But anyhow, I think the relationship was strong enough to survive those things. 
I don't know how many women would have done that, though. I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's pretty big step to take. I think it still has to do with my Southwest Africa, Namibia, whatever you want to call it, experiences, you know, of survival. You have to survive. You have to take this thing and you have to, what does Nike says? Just do it. <laughs> I like that quote, yes. <laughs> Is there a time or a decision in your career that you look back on now where you think, you know, I wish I had made a different choice or I wish I had gone a different direction? Yeah, I think I should have left the teaching earlier. Stefan, you know that I am actually, in principle, more academically inclined than non-academically. So I love it. It stimulates me. And that's something I miss at the moment, the academic environment where you can argue and encounter different perspectives over certain topics. I miss that. If you read an article, you know, and you can take that article and you pull it apart. I'm quite good at that. How do you want to be remembered? Oh, I don't know. That, that's quite a difficult question. Stefan, I never pretend to be anybody else than what I am. And my problem in life was people do not understand me. They read between lines, they interpret differently, and they don't listen to what I say. I'm not diplomatic. I don't say something which I don't mean. And people used to not interpret me like that. I think that's one of the things that made that some people liked me and some people didn't like me. Because I am what I am. And there are some people that remember me that I am what I am. I think like you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing yeah. some of your journey today. Softly Spoken is a Tilted Windmills production. It was hosted and produced by Stefan de Villiers. If you enjoyed listening to this episode and you'd like to help support us, please share it with others, post it on social media, or leave us a rating or review. Thanks again, and see you next time.